Praise God. It's exciting to be with you as we celebrate Christmas together today. And it certainly fills my heart with joy, but I want to be uh, just transparent and understand that Christmas is not always a time filled with joy. It can be a time that we're reminded of someone we dearly love who's not with us. It can be a time we're made more keenly aware of trouble in family or with friends. It can be a time when the consequences of maybe sins we've committed or the sins of others near us continue to bear out in our lives in difficult ways. And so even though we confess and sing and say that this is a season of joy because of the birth of Christ, we don't always feel that joy. And yet, it doesn't change the reality of the words of the angels on that day. This is indeed good tidings of great joy to all people. And I believe that despite the circumstances we may face, the birth of Christ does indeed mean joy, even for you today. And I hope that no matter what you're facing today, no matter what it is that might be seeking to rob you of your joy this Christmas day, may a reminder of the person of Jesus Christ bring undefeatable joy to your heart and life. May it conquer your grief, the sadness over reminders of deep loss, the presence of evil and sin in your life, reminders of broken relationships or the consequences of sin. Discontentment, those thoughts that tell you if you only had this or if this thing was only a little different in your life, then you would find joy or happiness. The pain that can come from unmet expectations that you thought things were going to be this way, but they didn't turn out quite the way you wanted. Feelings of entitlements that you've not been treated as you deserve. Feelings of ungratefulness or misplaced hopes. Whatever it is that might be threatening your joy today, I want to encourage you to rejoice because the Savior is born. He's here. It's done. God in flesh forevermore. Because Jesus was born, you can rejoice today. And we're going to look at three reasons that you can have joy that conquers everything that would threaten your joy because Jesus was born. Number one, we're going to see today that the birth of the Savior displays God's perfect plan. The Savior's birth displays God's perfect plan. We'll notice this in verses 1 through 7. And we're going to see how the timing of the census, the location of the birth in Bethlehem, the lineage of David, even Jesus' birth in a manger, all highlight God's sovereign, perfect plan in a context that would have been completely unexpected and even challenging. God's plan in sending His Son was perfect, and Christmas reminds us of that. I think Luke might even hint at this idea in the opening words of Luke chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, "...and it came to pass in those days." 
Two phrases, it came to pass, and in those days, both sort of highlighting the key timing of what's about to happen. Luke mentions a historical event, a decree of Caesar Augustus, the Caesar at the time, who decided to have a census. And this census involved everyone being registered. And to be registered, they they need to be registered in their ancestral city, their hometown. So this decree goes out to be registered. And big surprise, some things haven't changed in politics. The census likely had to do with taxes. You guessed it. And so everyone, this this massive shifting of people was to go to their ancestral city. And so Joseph, being from the line of David, went to David's ancestral city, which was Bethlehem. Jerusalem is sometimes called the city of David, but his place of birth, his place of lineage was actually the town of Bethlehem. And so Joseph, being in the line of David, was to go to Bethlehem. And so everyone involved in Rome went to be registered to be prepared to pay their taxes. Verse 2 gives us another little historical detail. It was during the time that Quirinius was governor of Syria, which may have meant something to Theophilus, uh, reading this uh, description from Luke, but doesn't mean a whole lot to us today. Just a historical time marker. And I think it's part of what Luke is doing to point out that even the movements and shifts and plans of massive governments, the Roman government, fit perfectly into the timing and plan of God. Caesar thinks he's planning this census just to get taxes out of people, but God is the one who's really on the throne. And in the grand scheme of things, we'll see how this continues to unfold. So verse 3, everyone goes to be registered, each in his own city. And so that applies to Joseph. Verse 4, he goes up from Galilee. The trip actually is south from Galilee down to Bethlehem. Uh, But it's up because it was uphill, right? And so he travels about a 90-mile journey, a long journey in in that time period from uh, Galilee down to Bethlehem. Now, because Mary is betrothed to Joseph, and probably because she's very late in her pregnancy, she travels with Joseph. She doesn't be left alone during this time. We don't know all the pieces of the puzzle, why she went, but she goes with Joseph. And again, if we step back from the text and remember the sovereign plan of God, we know exactly why she went with Joseph. It's possible Mary even knew the prophecy of Micah 5-2 that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And so maybe, we we don't know, maybe Mary was even beginning to put the pieces together. She knew she bore the Son of God. And so then the census comes up and Joseph has to go to Bethlehem and Mary's thinking, oh, I know why this is all happening. We don't know. We don't know why Mary went, but she goes. And it's all part of God's perfect time. I mean, there are no coincidences here. That in the, can, you, can you time a pregnancy? I'm curious. Have any of you ever perfectly timed your pregnancy for a child to be delivered just when you want it? I mean, it just doesn't work that way. But God's timing, God's per- plan is perfect. At just the right time when the baby is to be delivered, this census is called and Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem and not while they're traveling, Not before they arrive, but after they've made it to Bethlehem and settled in. Then it's time for the child to be delivered. 
So they're there, verse 6. The days are completed. Again, sensing the timing of God here, the exact number of days until the child should be delivered. And Mary, verse 7, brings forth her firstborn son. We know, of course, is Jesus. She wraps him in swaddling claws. These claws were wrapped tightly around the baby to hold its limbs tight as a position of comfort for the child. I really like the Holman Christian Standard Version's translation of this. It says that Mary wrapped him snugly. It's a good sense of the word, wrapped tightly uh, to hold the child in place. Laid the child, laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And again, we don't know exactly what this setting was. The point is there was no place for this birth to take place. It was crowded in Bethlehem with all who had come to be registered there. And so they're kind of making do with what they have nearby. And so Jesus' resting place, his first place to lay down was a feeding trough for animals. Can you imagine from Mary's perspective, I mean, maybe, maybe she had figured out God's reasoning for bringing them down to Bethlehem, but even then it's kind of questionable. You know, maybe she's what, how many weeks are there in a pregnancy, right? She's 37th week, something like that, far along in her pregnancy, a, a bit uncomfortable, Then there's news of this journey to Bethlehem, and even if she gets it, even if she knows Micah 5 too, it's kind of like, could we not have made this trip earlier, you know? Does it have to be now? This seems a bit uncomfortable and scary. They arrive in Bethlehem, and it's crowded, and there's not enough room just to lay her child in a feeding trough. Moms, can you imagine And yet, this is all the plan of God, just as God wanted it to be unfolded. The the timing of the census and the travel to Bethlehem and even being born in a manger fulfilled prophecies of the lowly birth of this Messiah. See, God's plan is unfolding perfectly. And the birth of Jesus Christ reminds us of that perfect plan. The Savior's birth displays God's perfect plan. One of the things my mom always enjoyed doing for us on Christmas was uh, planning a little gift hunt, so to speak. And so if there was a, a larger gift or something special that we were getting, that was often the last thing, you know, we would open and the gifts were all, had all disappeared under the tree. And so she would kind of say something like, well, I think there's something else. Peek in the tree. See if you can see something. And sure enough, tucked in the tree somewhere would be an envelope. Hmm. And so we'd open the envelope, and inside was some cryptic poem that she had transcribed earlier that day, probably. And so we'd read it and try to figure out what it meant and we'd begin racking our brains, okay, where, where, what the location could this be in? And so we'd go to the next location, and ah, there's another envelope. And so we'd read that one and try to figure it out, and then go to the next location. And then finally, we'd find the gifts. And so it was a fun way, and it was fun to see the time that my mom took, you know, reading all these poems and leading us to different places. The, the plan unfolded, and it was clear it had been 
thought through. And usually the gift was tucked away somewhere that we never would have come across it on our own. But the poem by poem by poem, we found the right location. Oh, it all makes sense now. Here it is. An exciting part of the Christmas day. It's fun to see a a well-laid plan unfold like that and lead to something exciting. The birth of Christ reveals the sovereign, perfect plan of God. Different than Mary would have planned it, for sure, but perfect nonetheless. He always does what is right, which means that everything He allows in our lives is for good. Romans 8.28 reminds us of this truth, that for God's children, those He has called, all things work together for good. Yes, even the trials and difficulties and troubles are not a surprise in the sovereign plan of God. Psalm 1830 puts it this way, As for the Lord, His way is perfect. His plans never fail, and they're good, and they're right. That means maybe if you're struggling with grief this Christmas, the birth of Christ can remind you that you can trust the sovereign plan of God for help to move forward in your grief. That even this loss is a part of God's perfect plan, His perfect timing. It's not random. It's not vindictive. It's not pointless. If you're struggling with discontentment, the perfect plan of God can help you to overcome that discontentment. It means that the state of my life is just as God intends it. Sometimes He has provided everything I need uh, to to find satisfaction and joy. Other times, he, He calls me to take steps of faith. But those things that I cannot get or cannot have are therefore not good for me. Because the sovereign plan of God, the perfect provision of God, never fails. And so I can be content For he has said, he will never leave me nor forsake me. Maybe you're facing unmet expectations this Christmas. Things have not turned out the way you want. But the sovereign plan of God in the birth of our Savior reminds us to trust in those times of dashed hopes. Because the way God has allowed things to unfold is a part of His good and perfect plan for your life. And of course, we can't see how that's true. We don't see it all. Like Mary, we're left wondering, why a manger? (laughs) The sovereign ruler of the universe has a perfect plan. And the birth of Jesus Christ reminds us of that. The next section here, we transition to the angel greeting the shepherds there in the fields. And what we see here is that Jesus' birth is good news for everyone. Not only does it reveal the sovereign plan of God, but it's good news for everyone. This angelic messenger shows up there in verses 8 and 9. And we're given the scene, the shepherds are out in the field, it's nighttime, they're watching their sheep. This is all very commonplace. 
But suddenly there was this angel on the scene and this brightness of the glory of God. The imagery is beautiful as God's light shines in the darkness and captivates the gaze of the shepherds who are gripped with fear over the glory of God and this bright angel before them. Verse 10, the angel calms their fears. Do not be afraid. I have good tidings. The word is literally, I have have good news for you. It's the same word we use when we talk about preaching the good news, the gospel. It's built into this word, good news. And sure enough, the angel is about to share the gospel with them. This Jesus is born to be Savior and Christ and Lord. And so the angel announces this good news. Verse 11 breaks down the good news for them. There is born this day in the city of David, referring to Bethlehem, someone with three titles, Savior, Christ, and Lord. First of all, this child would be a Savior, one who would rescue people. And as the angel announces, this is not only good news of great joy for Israel, for whom Jesus was the Messiah, but this is good news of great joy for all people, for whom Jesus is the Savior. You see, He was coming to save people from their sins, offering salvation to all people. Number two, He's called the Christ, which is the word chosen one, Messiah. And that is relating to Israel that this Jesus was God's promised one who would come not only to save His people, to redeem them, but also to rule and reign over Israel forevermore. And finally, He's called Lord, the one who, before whom every knee will one day bow and reference Him as Lord and King. Because He is the one who will put down all evil forevermore, who will rule with righteousness. This little baby was Savior, Christ, and Lord, and therefore His birth is good news for everyone. In verse 12, the angel gives them instructions to find the child. There's a sign. The child will be wrapped tightly in these swaddling cloths, wrapped snugly, as we uh, see in the HCSB, and lying in a manger. It's Probably the manger, that's the key factor there. I doubt there were any other children born in Bethlehem that night who were placed in a manger. And so the shepherds are tasked to go and to worship the child, but before they can go anywhere, we find out in verse 13, some more angels burst on the scene. It's like they can't contain their praise for God. And we'll study their song in the last point of our sermon. The Savior's birth is good news for everyone. Good tidings. There's a Savior. There's hope. Our sins can be forgiven. Our death can be conquered. Evil can be defeated. And it will be done by this child who is Savior, Christ, and Lord. And He's here. He was born. God sent Him. Christmas is good news for everyone. That's the best good news I can give you. I have some other good news. It's not nearly as good as this. But being that it's Christmas, I thought it'd be fun to give the kids a little, very little gift today. 
So in the spirit of my mother's little treasure hunt, uh, I have two poems for you, children, and you can see if you can find the gift for you nearby, okay? For those of you sitting in pews, it goes like this. Under cards and envelopes hangs a candy, so we hope. Under cards and envelopes hangs a candy, so we hope. For those of you sitting in chairs, the poem goes like this. Not in pants, but in a pocket. If you find it, do not drop it. Not in pants, but in a pocket. If you find it, do not drop it. Okay, so there you go. Begin your little treasure hunt. Adults, feel free to help the kids. There are gifts even in rows that do not have children, so if the rows with many children uh, need a few extra gifts, please feel free to help them out and pass the gifts back. And you can share the hint if you figured out where it is. Under cards and envelopes hangs a candy, so we hope. Not in pants, but in a pocket. If you find it, do not drop it. Jerry found his. Good work, Jerry. (laughs) Well, there you go. There's some good news. Well, that's pretty low-level good news in the grand scheme of things, isn't it? Nothing like a little candy to cheer us up, sure. But candy doesn't give us joy, does it? Candy doesn't solve the problems of our world. But really, the arrival of the one who is Savior, Christ, and Lord is good news for everyone. Because the one with those three titles alone is equipped to solve every problem, to right every wrong. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what's come upon you. It doesn't matter what's fallen apart. It doesn't matter what you have done. The one who is Savior Christ and Lord conquers all sin. He destroys all evil. He has gained victory over death itself. So find joy in this child with the titles Savior, Christ, and Lord, who would one day take your sin upon his shoulders and die on the cross in your place that every bit of trouble that you and I have created in this life will be paid for in full. The wrath of God could be poured out on His Son completely. Oh, but it's a living hope. Because this Savior, Christ and Lord, who died in our place, did not stay dead, but remained Savior, Christ, and Lord by conquering death itself and rising from the grave and ascending to the Father's right hand where He sat down, signifying that His work had been completed and finished, paid in full. 
and he waits the sovereign, perfect timing of God for his return, when all things will be made right. And he can do it because he's Savior, Christ, and Lord. That's good news. If you've never known the forgiveness and joy offered to you in Jesus Christ, would you trust in Him today? And if you have, would you lift your eyes again to the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, and find joy in the midst of whatever challenge you face this Christmas season? The Savior's birth is good news for everyone. The rest of the angels join the scene and they sing out their song in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We're not told exactly that they sing. We don't know how these words came out, if they were spoken or shouted or sung. I've never heard an angel anyway, so I really can't tell you what it sounded like. The focus is on the content of the words. And the phrase is rich. First, it begins with glory to God in the highest. And this can mean a couple of things. First of all, glory to God is clear. It means praise and honor. Be given to God on high. That phrase, in the highest, can be taken a couple of ways. It could be the location of the praise. Glory to God in the highest place, meaning in in heaven. It could be the highest kind of praise. I really don't think it matters which interpretation we take. It's glory to God in the highest kind of praise. I think in heaven is likely because it's contrasted with earth in the next parallel phrase. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. There's another tricky phrase here in the original language, but the parallelism really helps us. Glory to God in heaven, peace to men on earth. So then there's that phrase, that goodwill. Where does that all fit? I think it tells us a little bit about the people that are receiving this peace. Peace to mankind. And the goodwill could could be read this way. Those on whom God has shown favor or bestowed favor. Those who have received God's goodwill. It could also be read peace and goodwill to mankind. That's another way to take it as well. It really doesn't matter. The point is very simple. God through the birth of His Son, has given to mankind peace and favor. It's an evidence of God's kindness to us. The word favor is not the word for grace, but it's a very similar idea. Undeserved goodness and kindness from God. God grants peace and favor through the birth of His Son toward people. This must have been an interesting event for the angels, used to worshiping the Lord Jesus around the clock, 24-7, since the day they were created by God and by Christ. (laughs) And from that time forward, just constantly praising Him. And now, He's come to the earth? 
the ones who enjoyed His presence from the day of their creation, thousands of years in the past, now witness as the Son of God comes to earth. What kind of favor of God is this? They give praise and glory to God as they watch the unfolding of the incredible sovereign plan of God and rejoice in what God has done to bring peace in the flesh (laughs) to the earth. Peace Himself born to show God's favor to mankind. The word peace in the Bible is a rich word. If we take it back to its Hebrew roots, it's a word, you've heard it before, shalom. It's a word that doesn't just mean like the absence of trouble. It's a word that means wholeness or wellness. Just complete (sighs) shalom. It's not exactly the word here, but anytime you see the word peace, you get that sense of meaning behind it, that this is just complete wellness from God, absence of all trouble and unrest. And this is what God has given to the earth, to mankind, in the sending of His Son. He's favored us by giving peace on earth. And we look around us and we don't see this peace. Wait a second. There's still war. There's still trouble and conflict. And we see that trouble in our personal relationships. We see that trouble in our families and among our friends. And we see it at work. We see it between nations. There's there's trouble. What kind of peace is this? Well, on the one hand, yes, it is promised peace. There will come a day... When this Jesus will reign in peace and there will be global, universal peace in every sense of that word. But right now, He's given us what I would call a more important peace. Peace in our souls. Peace with God the one who in righteousness had perfect relationship with the Father, came that He might offer peace to us. Romans 5.1 puts it this way, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Peace in our souls. And indeed, friend, there will be no rest for your soul until you have peace with God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This sets our anxiety at ease. As the troubles of life weigh down upon us, as the worries and fears, the what-ifs of what might happen and how this will go, we can look to our Savior, the one who represents the favor of God upon us, who brought Peace with God. And in the midst of all our anxieties, to just settle our souls in the fact that in Christ, I'm at peace with God. So what I'm experiencing is not His wrath. It's not His punishment. It's not His 
justice bearing down upon me. No, no, no. What I'm experiencing is always, forevermore, His love and His favor and His grace in Jesus Christ. This quiets my guilt. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, God sent peace in the person of Jesus Christ so that our sins could be washed away by faith in the one who paid for them in full. So that it could be said of me, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This brings rest to my soul as Jesus invited in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest in Jesus. Rest for your souls. You no longer have to labor to try to earn favor from God or to Win righteousness for your name. No, all of that is a failure. And instead, God offers you the exchange of your sinfulness for Christ's righteousness by faith. And therefore, peace with God. Find rest for your soul today by faith in Jesus Christ. Not only is the Savior's birth a display of God's perfect plan, good news for everyone But as this chorus of angels sings for us, the Savior's birth is grace and peace to mankind. Favor from God and peace for our souls. Set your soul at peace today by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We won't study these verses at length, but the story concludes in verses 15 through 20 as we kind of see what happens with the shepherds. Not only does Luke point out, though, the shepherds, we actually notice four, or excuse me, three different groups of people. The shepherds show up twice, so sort of four. But each person or people group has a different response to what has just happened. In verses 15 through 17, you notice the shepherds, they go, and as they're going, they they make known the good news. We read about that there in those verses. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning God. They shared the good news. They made it known. Verse 18, we have another group, the people who had heard those things from the shepherd. They marvel at this. They, they think and ponder and meditate about what God has done. Then we see Mary in verse 19. She ponders them in her hearts, just marveling what God has done about this birth of this child. She meditates on it and praises God. And then we come back to the shepherds in verse 20 as they continue to praise, glorify, and magnify God for what He has done in Jesus. And it's a neat reminder to us the ways we can display our joy in response to the birth of our Savior. As we rejoice that God has sent His Son, we remember His sovereign plan which sets sets us at ease 
no matter what we face. We remember that His birth is good news for everyone, and so with the shepherds, we make it known with joy. There's good news for you today. And it's grace and peace from God for the whole earth. And so we praise, we ponder, we meditate, we magnify, we respond with joy to what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is joy undefeatable, unconquerable, unstoppable, no matter what we face. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, Savior, Christ, and Lord, and rejoice in the Savior's birth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the Lord Jesus. You have done a wonderful thing. And we admit we don't even comprehend the fullness of it. We look forward to the day when we will understand more and understand better. But as we go from here, fill us with true joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be thankful for what you have done for us. Our Savior was born. And we praise you for Jesus, our Savior, our Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.